deceit should steal such gentle shapes, and with a virtuous visor hide deep vice. Sounds ominous, doesn't it? I uh, Well, I read it that way on purpose. And those words, ladies and gentlemen, were spoken by, well, they were written by none other than the great William Shakespeare, but they were spoken uh, by the character, the character King Richard in the play Richard the Th- Richard the Third. It's the third, right? It's the fourth. Richard the no Richard the Third. I, well, I don't know how high the Richards go, but this one was a top Richard. And uh, I'm going to get back to that in just a minute as to why I chose that particular that particular opener today. Uh, and and I also have to uh, a little disclaimer here. Well, it's not really a disclaimer. Uh, it's more it's more of a, of a of an advisory notice that I'm a little bit irritated today, a little bit. Um, and, um, and, and here's why, well, uh, maybe I shouldn't tell you why, because then I'll just, I'll just get on a rant that will be probably not constructive, uh, to the episode. So, uh, but it is related. The reason why I'm irritated, just a little bit, you know, I'm a little bit and, and it's related to the topic. I think you'll figure it out once I get going here. So what I want to start with, uh, besides Richard the third is, um, this uh, this article that I found this morning, uh, well, I, I, it was I, I think it was the first news piece I read this morning, and um, and it's uh, and it's our very own hometown Houston Chronicle, which uh, regrettably is our only newspaper in Houston. That's uh, not necessarily to Im- that doesn't implicitly say that the Chronicle is no good. Uh, it just means that you know in a city as big as Houston, I feel like we should have more than one newspaper, and we used to, but that's a story for another day. Now, uh, this particular uh, story today, it's an opinion piece in the Chronicle here on uh, July 7th. So um, so I'm recording this on Friday, July 7th. You're, by the time you hear it, it'll be a few days later. But anyway, it'll still be pretty pretty recent. Now, it's writ- the, the article or the, the opinion piece is written by uh, Chris Tomlinson, Chris is a uh, is a business opinion writer for the Chronicle, and he's been with the paper for a long time. He's a very seasoned, experienced journalist, uh, pretty well known in Houston. And there's a little backstory here. I just want to share with you really quickly because because Chris and I I've met Chris before, and uh, it was some months back. And I asked him, um, and we met through a mutual friend. We were at some event, and we were standing there talking, and uh, we were having a nice conversation. And I said, "Hey, I would love to have you come on this other, this show that I do. This, this is the other podcast, Saving the Dream. It's about a show about life in America." And I, I emphasized that the whole point of the show is, you know, like the the whole kind of character of it is that we want to have open like honest, intelligent conversations where maybe we don't agree on everything, but we can look at life from different angles and, um, you know, get out of the echo chambers. And, and that's, that's kind of the whole point of saving the dream. And so he said, sure. He said, send me an email and, you know, I'll, 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 I'll do a show with you. Now I suspect in retrospect, I determined, I decided that he, I think he said, he said, okay, because we were standing in the company of mutual friends and he didn't want to be that guy who, uh, you know, is like, nah, I don't want to do your thing. So, um, because I followed up with him a few days later, sent him a note and he basically, and I, and I reemphasized the whole, like it's open balanced, right? Like, cause you could, cause you might guess that Chris and I probably don't agree on 
everything. We probably don't agree on a lot of things. Um, but I have been known to say good things about him in the past on a couple of different occasions where I've said, you know, he and I don't see things the same way, but I, I think he's a, I think he's a good journalist and, and he writes in an intelligent way. Um, and so you can respect what he's saying now. Um, so I, so I re I reiterated that, you know, like this isn't a setup, <laughs> I, I want you to come on the show. We'll have a good conversation. And he basically told me, thanks, but no thanks, uh, in about that many words. And so um, now, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean I have an ax to grind with him um, because, uh, you know, everybody, you know, you, you know, you do what you want to do and don't do what you don't want to do. And um, so it doesn't hurt my feelings. But there is a little bit of a backstory there. And, um, and, and okay, maybe I'm a little bit irritated. And now that I read this, this story, how am I doing? Am I ranting too much? Okay. I'm going to, br I'm going to bring this around to the whole oil field ingenuity thing. Just give me a minute. This will not be one continuous rant, but here is the story that he, and here's the headline, the opening headline or the headline, the article opens with oil and gas executives want us to keep no, <laughs> I read I read the wrong word. Let me do it again. Oil and gas executives want us to accept climate change so that they can keep profiteering. Now, I'm going to give that to you again. Oil and gas executives want us to accept climate change so they can keep profiteering. And, you, and now you're seeing how my Shakespeare quote, my Richard III, about deception comes into play here. Um, already two occasions in my story. And this is the second one. Now, um, uh, um, for the first thing that caught my well, one of the things that I guess I, I tripped on a little bit here is he, he decided to use the word profiteering. Uh, look that up in the dictionary because it doesn't mean just making a profit. It doesn't just mean making a lot of profit. The word, and Chris is an experienced journalist, so he he knows what words he's using. And, pro, and somebody who is a profiteer is generally regarded as somebody who makes exorbitant amounts of money unfairly, you know, by basically at other people's expense, either by selling things that are scarce in a time of need or by selling things illegally or by you know whatever like profiteers it's like a racketeer or a or a pirate right and so um so he decided to call oil and gas executives uh profiteers now it, it's not the first time that they've been accused of that but christian know better now he then so now in this article he then goes to expand on that and he basically says that he, he he talks about how we were having a hot summer and it's the hottest and and you know since whenever and blah 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 all the things that people are talking about and then he says oil and gas folks want you to ignore I like how he says folks as if like oh all of a sudden we're all friends again oil and gas folks want you to ignore these facts they no longer deny global warming but now they claim there is little we can do about it and they just want you to sacrifice the climate for their profits under the guise of making wise decisions again we come back to Richard the third and what does he say? A virtuous visor hiding deep vice. And then he goes on to, uh, let's see. Okay, so after all the rhetoric about the oil and gas executives, this is what they're doing and this is what they want you to think. Um, he finally quotes somebody who is an oil and gas executive. Now, this is the other thing, right? Is And this happens all the time. People say, oil and gas executives, like they're not the Borg. They're not, they're not some sort of a civilization that sh shares one collective mind and one collective consciousness. They don't all 
you know, these are different people in different companies and they have different priorities and they do different things. So I know you can make an argument that they're all in cahoots with each other, but I don't think that's the case. Now, certainly there's, there's some amount of, well, what are those guys doing? What are we doing? I'm sure they, I'm sure they have clubs where they get together and talk about things and we're not privy, but, um, but he does quote John Hess. Now here's the evidence. Here's the evidence for oil and gas executives are basically duping you. And, and it's because John Hess said in Malaysia, at K, in KL at some energy conference, John Hess, the CEO of Hess Corp, the, he said, here's what he said. Oil and gas are needed for decades to come. Why? Because the energy transition is going to take a lot longer. It's going to cost a lot more money and need new technologies that don't even exist today. Well, no kidding. That's what every, everybody's been coming to this realization that, you know what, this is not going to be, you know, some people would say we always knew it wasn't going to be as easy as you thought, but, it, but gradually. And, and the other thing that we're learning is that, who what happens when we have a, a, some sort of a, a disruption in energy supply, it really causes a lot of grief in the world. And so you see this now recently, BP, Shell, some others have announced that, you know what, we're not abandoning our new energy initiatives, but we're going to pivot a little bit harder back toward oil and gas production. Why? In the interest of energy security. Uh, and so Chris basically calls BS on all that. And, and this is the interesting, and he does actually say that he says that John, so after, after John's sentence about energy transition is going to take a lot longer, it's going to cost a lot more money and need new technologies, which we all know is true. Chris says four lies in one sentence. And then he throws in about on par for these folks. Now let's break it down. And he proceeds to break it down, but you can look this article up. I don't see where he actually explains the four lies in the one sentence that has three parts to it. <laughs> Energy transition, it's going to take longer. It's going to cost money and it's going to need new tech. And then he goes on to say, no, 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 no. Now I know I'm getting on a rant, so I'm going to just leave that. I could say more about this article, but I'll let you go. Houston Chronicle, July 7th. And by the way, if you disagree with me, that's okay. You should, in fact, you should let me know. You should send them an email to michael at OGGN.com, and you should say, hey, have you thought about this while you were busy on your self-righteous rant? Maybe you should have uh, thought about a couple of other things that you weren't thinking about, in which case, I would love to have that conversation with you. And who knows, maybe you could come on the show and we'll talk about it together. Um, now, moving on, here's what I want to say um, about all this, and, and this is where we get into the ingenuity thing. I want to, I want to throw out a theme or a notion or concept or whatever you want to say, which is sometimes it's best to stick to what you're good at. Um, and um, oil and gas companies are good at producing oil and gas. And oil and gas is something that we still desperately need and we're going to need. Everybody knows that. Um, and we've seen what happens when all of a sudden we don't have it somewhere and it causes a huge shitstorm, as they say sometimes. Now, uh, I'm going to give you uh, here's a here's a little article. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna look at a couple of things here, just just so that you don't think this is all coming out of my head. Uh, Oilprice.com. Uh, this is uh, this was written just about a week ago, week two weeks ago, June twentieth, by uh, by this one. She now she this is a woman that writes for Oil Price, and I've seen her many times and. 
I don't, it, so it's, I guess it's a Russian name or something in that part of the world. Sivintana uh, Paraskova. I, I apologize terribly. I'm sure that's probably not right. Anyway, J- June 20th. It's a good article. You can look it up. The headline is, Renewables Set to Benefit from... This is great. Renewables set to benefit from big oil's renewed focus on oil and gas. So she goes in and here's here's the here's a, some so here's a couple of key points from this article. It's a good article by the way. Uh, renewables set to benefit. So basically the big oil companies saying, "Oh, we better, you know, like this new energy stuff is it's more expensive, it's taking longer, and meanwhile we got to make sure we're producing enough of the stuff that is already running everything. So we got to do that. Let's make sure that we don't stop doing that. Let's put more emphasis on that. And she says, this is a good thing for the whole renewables um, initiative. Why? Uh, And so here's a few points. She says, big energy companies like Shell and BP. Oh, I just said that are returning to more focus on oil due to energy security concerns. Now, this could ease the competition and cost pressures in the renewable energy sector. Interesting. Because despite massive investments in renewables, project economics have worsened. Are you catching this, Chris? Because I think you gloss over a few of these things when you talk about. Uh, so well, that's another thing in, in Chris Tomlinson's piece. He goes on to say, we're not that far away and we've got, we've got more wind and solar and battery now than we've ever had and everything's just going swimmingly. And well, it turns out, uh, project economics have worsened over the past two years. Why? Due to increased competition, including from big oil. So everybody said to big oil, you need to get in on this over here and quit drilling so many, doing so much oil and gas production. You need to help us with this renewable stuff. And guess what? It kind of messed up the market, drove up costs because they can come in and they don't have to be, you know, they can afford to do things more. And anyway, there's a whole economics lesson in there. I don't want to get into it. Um, but, um, So she says that this pullback by big oil could benefit dedicated renewable energy developers uh, because the reduced competition would lead to lower project costs and improve profitability in the sector. This is basic economics. If it doesn't make sense to you, just, um, you know, just think about it for a little bit. Now, uh, of course, the environmentalists and the critics of oil and gas are having a great time, uh, uh, you know, basically uh, criticizing the companies who were um, who are who are pivoting back, and uh, um, and and it and it drives these comments like or these accusations, I should say, uh, from from people like Chris Tomlinson and and others who were saying, see. This was all a big charade. Ah, that deceit should steal such gentle shapes with a virtuous visor, hide deep vice. This is what everybody's accusing us of, folks. And, uh, and but what she says is, hey, look at this. Big oil's renewed focus on profitable projects in oil and gas and the new selective approach to wind, solar, and blah, blah, blah. So basically, they're like, they're reshuffling their portfolio. Uh, it's actually going to... Um, it's gonna. It could help the renewables industry, and um, and the renewables developers have been complaining about soaring costs and supply chain issues, and record high prices for green projects. So um, now there's another thing in here. She quotes. Uh, um, 
uh, Bernard Looney saying, look what happened last year when we had a, a little war and all of a sudden uh, we had uh, we had supply problems and, and price spikes. And then there's, there's a quote in here that I love from Darren Woods, CEO of ExxonMobil, who says, at the end of the day, well, I don't love that he says at the end of the day, everybody needs to get at the end of the day out of their vocabulary. But what he does say is, we're a molecule company, not an electron company. So think about that for a second. This comes back to sometimes we need to stick to what we're good at. Everybody needs to stick to what they're good at. And in this case, oil and gas, oil companies are really good. And they've gotten so much better, as we talk about all the time, cleaner, safer, and all of the amazing improvements that the ingenuity of the oil field people have produced, which I might add, today's press frequently does not give us credit for, but there is one thing today, there's a whole bunch of things we could talk about, but there's one thing we are going to, we're going to talk about today. I want to shine a light on, well, first I want to shine the light on Occidental Petroleum. Our friends over at Oxy uh, are, are, are doing something amazing in the, uh, out in the Permian Basin here in Texas. And uh, I've got a, I got a headline here and this is from a couple months. This is from April. But um, and this is something that Oxy's been working on for a while, uh, and they've been talking about it for a couple, three years, I guess, um, at least. And I think they've had some delays because that's what happens with these really uh, big, complex projects. But uh, here, just in the last couple of months, they held a groundbreaking ceremony for a carbon capture plant out in the Permian. Now, this is not just any carbon capture plant. This this one's really big. And I don't have the, what are, what are the numbers here? Oh yeah, here we go. Uh, so the plant is, is, is the, the, the plant has its own name. It's called Stratos. Stratus? Stratus? Stratos. Anyway, sounds like, uh, sounds like straight out of a Marvel comic story. Um, and uh, it's, it's going to be able to remove up to 500,000 tons of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere each year. 500,000. <laughs> Get your head around that number, folks. Take a ton. Think about how big a ton is. And uh, multiply it times 1,000. And then multiply it times another 500. 500,000 tons of carbon dioxide. Now, have you ever tried to weigh a gas? Like, you know, like you blow up a balloon and you put it on the scale. It doesn't, it doesn't move very much. It does move. It, it is heavier than the empty balloon, which always seems weird to me. But, uh, but, but take carbon dioxide and uh, measure me out. How much, how much CO2 would you like today, Mr. O'Sullivan? Uh, give me about four or 500,000 tons. And uh, I'm just going to put it right here in my back seat. And some of it will go in the trunk. So this is, this is a lot. And, uh, um, and, and it's removing it from the atmosphere in the Permian. Now, here's where the beautiful part, here's where it all comes together. There's this other thing that they've been doing out in the Permian in an other unconventional place for some period of time. And, uh, and it's called advanced. No, not advanced. I'm looking at something else here. It's enhanced, enhanced oil recovery, EOR. Now, some of you, some of you uh, probably know all about what that is. And some of you, maybe you don't, uh, or maybe you've heard of it. So I'm just going to give you a quick little, um, I still don't know whether to say primer or primer. Uh, somebody please send me an email and tell me what's the, what's the right way to say that. Okay. 
Uh, here's a, but and if you want to learn more about this, you can go to of all places one of our government websites, energy.gov, and just look for enhanced oil recovery. There's pictures and the whole bit. But here's the gist of it: um, when you're pulling uh, hydrocarbons out of reservoirs. You're pulling oil out of reservoirs. And typically we talk about three phases, uh, primary, secondary, and tertiary. That's a fancy word for the third one. And uh, tertiary, tertiary is where the enhanced recovery comes in. The primary is just a natural pressure, pre- proof, <laughs> natural pressure, right? So they, they drilled the hole, the stuff started pouring out. That's uh, um, just the pressure or gravity, right? Like pulls the oil up and... Um, and, and that's where we even use maybe some artificial lift technologies, you know, pumps and stuff like that. But, uh, but did you know that that primary recovery, only, uh, it's only about 10% of what is really in the reservoir. So, uh, so then we go back for secondary recovery, and that involves injecting stuff in to kind of displace the oil. And, and, um, <clears throat> and, and to be honest with you, the, the details, the, 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 um, the differences between secondary and tertiary in some ways are probably there's like are it's like over engineering wise it's over my head they both sound kind of the same to me but I know they're different uh, anyway secondary can get you twenty to forty percent of the original oil um, and but but still you're leaving a lot in there so now now that all the easy stuff has been done. Um, this is where the, the EOR enhanced oil recovery folks come in and you can get up to 60%, right? Which I know it sounds crazy to think after all that, you're still only getting 60%, but it's a lot better than 10. And, uh, and, and one of the ways that they do EOR is gas injection. Um, and guess uh, and, and so, you know, you inject gas and it expands uh, uh, in the reservoir and it pushes the oil up. And, and anyway, I, I don't want to get it. It's pretty I mean, it's pretty clever, folks. Um, it kind of goes back to one of the previous episodes where I said, you know, there's been a long it's it's been almost since the beginning of the industry that people have said, well, I see how much came out of the hole. But what can I put down there to break it up or disrupt it or do different things? And that's where Colonel what's his name and his torpedo. So. It's ever since the beginning, we've been looking for ways to engineer more uh, out of the out of the reservoir, and enhanced oil recovery gets us up to sixty percent. Now, without getting into the details, guess what's a great what, what is a great uh, gas to use for enhanced oil recovery? You got it, CO two works great. Can also use some other stuff, nitrogen, some other things, but CO two works really well. Now, you see how these pieces are coming together here, folks. Um, uh, the Permian is the lar- is the largest producing field in the world. Um, and and if we can get sixty percent out of it, then it's already like six times <laughs> producing six times more than it would have got if we'd have just drilled holes and see what comes out. So there's a lot of uh, ingenuity going into how to make this all work. But now here's the beauty. Here's where it all comes together. If we can inject CO2, well, where are we going to find CO2? Well, up, in, up until recent years, mostly that was done uh, by pulling CO2 out of, out of the existing operations and funneling it back in. But now that we know how to capture, we, can, we have efficient 
economic ways, economical ways of capturing CO2 out of the atmosphere. That means that, uh, uh, that a big, so, so, so look what's happening right now. Oxy's ginormous carbon capture facility that they're going to build, which is going to, which this isn't like a 10 year project. This isn't like building a refinery. Um, <laughs> it doesn't take that long, but, uh, this is a, uh, uh, I think they're going to have it operational by like the end of 2024, full capacity by 2025, something like that. So now in the same vicinity of operations where the evil oil companies are spewing CO2 into the air, before it gets away, we can capture it and then use it to inject into the ground. <clears throat> and um, and there's some stuff you got to do to make sure it stays in there, which doesn't always get done, I think. So I'm not really an expert on that, but... Um, so we can use the CO2 that is produced in the development operations to then come back for third stage and inject it to get more. Now, the, so there's all kinds of benefits here, right? In the interest of saving the planet, there's some, there, there's a lot of things here. Well, the first thing is, uh, we get rid of the, the evil CO2 that's, that's in the air, right? Cause we don't want that. The plants want it, but we don't want it. So we got to get, so we get rid of that. We inject it into the ground. And if we do it right, we can keep it in there by injecting it into the ground. We can produce two or three times, two or three times more out of that reservoir than we were going to anyway, which means in order to sustain the level of oil and gas supply that it turns out we still need and we're gonna need for a while we can sustain that supply without drilling as many more new holes in the ground um because the more we can get out of the existing reservoirs then then like those like those holes have already been drilled those operations are like that's you know that's free basically in terms of in terms of uh in terms of saving the planet. And uh, in fact, there's a, there's another article here. Uh, this is a good one too. Uh, this was written a couple of years ago, or I guess, I guess it's been four years now. So four years ago, a guy named Christoph McGlade wrote for the, uh, for the IEA website. Uh, and the headline is, can CO2 EOR really provide carbon negative oil? Now, I'm not going to tell you what conclusion he comes to. Uh, you'll have to look it up and read it yourself because I'm gonna I'm gonna run long, but um, but it's a good article and and so so never mind. And it was written four years ago, so obviously we've probably gotten smarter and more ingenious since then. But the point is that the question is seriously asked: Is it potentially possible that through uh, capturing Capturing CO2 out of, out of the air, 500,000 tons a year, just this one facility that Oxy is building, and then using that for injection to get three times as much uh, oil out of the ground or gas. Um, I guess it's really oil. It'd be oil, right? It wouldn't be gas. Anyway, um, I get a little lost in my comments sometimes, folks. Uh, if we do that, then we could potentially provide, is it? Can I say these words in a sentence? Is this blasphemous? Carbon negative oil? Is that even, can I say that out loud? Uh, but it, there it is in black and white right there uh, on, on, the, on the IEA website of all places. So the next time you hear somebody say, uh, talk about this charade that the 
the collective oil and gas executives or oil and gas folks uh, uh, that somehow they're all it's all a big put on and uh, really they're just profiteering uh, and they're just taking advantage of everybody and making obscene amounts of money. Um, you know, there's any number of stories that you could pull out, but here's one. Tell this whole story about how uh, how the evil empire figured out how to not only pull the CO2 out of the air, but how to use it to get three times more out of the holes we already drilled. And if, you know, if people can't understand the impact of that and how that helps the overall cause of what we're all supposed to be trying to do, then they're just not, then, then they're just, they just don't want to see it. They just don't want to see it, and like they're stuck on their narrative, and that's that. But there is no disputing, ladies and gentlemen, that the smart people, you know, maybe it's not, maybe maybe the time and money spent on wind and solar wasn't the best use of um, of of the talents and the experience in this particular industry. But those talents can be put to use and are being applied in such a way as to produce real innovation to accomplish things that really matter and i really think it all comes down to sticking to what you're good at 